0: This episode of POMCAST is sponsored by Blacker Yarns. Blacker specialise in breed-specific yarns spun in Cornwall using 100% British fibre. You can find out more about Blacker at blackeryarns.co.uk
1: Hello and welcome to Pomcast, the podcast that accompanies Pom Pom Magazine. I'm joined as ever by the lovely
0: Lady of Luck. Hi. Hi, Sophie, how are you? I'm good. What have you been up to recently? Oh, you know, knitting stuff.
1: Ah, that stuff old that's knitting related,
0: yes. Um, we are currently preparing for the Renegade craft fair, Christmas craft fair, which mm-hmm. is going to be in Brick Lane. Um, this podcast may uh, not be released until after the craft fair. So, so. what are you predicting for this craft fair? I'm predicting uh, a large amount of people visiting. Mm -hmm. I love it. it. (laughs) It's Brick Lane, Truman Breweries, which is in London and it's quite kind of central and they have a really great mix of all sorts of makers and the lovely um, Fiona Alice, who works with us, um, she will have her stand selling her lovely handmade items and patterns. We will be doing an exciting pom-pom Christmas bauble workshop. Oh, hey, wow. Yeah, super
1: cool way to def- decorate your tree. And you're predicting a huge uh, influx of people for that. So Specifically for that, yeah, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. We'll see. We'll, we'll match <laughs> your predictions along with what actually happens. We'll, you know, we'll yeah. get back to people and see if you have any clairvoyance that's going to shine through.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, well, last year when I went, there was some pretty cool jewellery mm-hmm. for sale. So I've, I predict also that I will buy some, some stuff. Okay, you're predicting.
1: <laughs> so if it comes true, it's only what the fates had in store for you already. Uh, exactly, <laughs> yes. How about you? What have you been up to? Good. I, uh, I did a darning class with the lovely Tom of Holland, which was been the highlight of my, uh, well, past couple of weeks. Well gel. Yeah, he, if you don't know uh, Tom, he's from Holland, hence Whoa. his name, um, and he's uh, he sort of launched this uh, visible mending project, mm-hmm. which, as the title would suggest, sort of darning and fixing stuff, and not, uh, you know, the aim isn't to sort of provide a perfect, inconspicuous uh Patch or whatever—it's sort of more about celebrating the fact that you've kind of kept something and wanted to repair it and sort of almost kind of made it more beautiful by fixing it uh, that in that great. more obvious way. Um, so yeah, that was really fun. We had little swatches, and one he sort of knitted up all these machine knit swatches, and then he was like, "Right now, I'm going to cut a hole in it, and you're going to mend the hole." So that was quite funny. Him going around like methodically cutting out this tiny hole for us to then like work <laughs> over. Um, so it's good. I have to Scotch darn, and I. Actually, all my knits were pretty well looked after, but I'm like waiting and waiting until
0: there's going to be a hole in something, and I'm like, oh, "I'm going to fix you so good." <laughs> well, I'm wearing a jumper with holes in it right now, Oh, gosh. so I will have to try and get you to impart some of this knowledge yeah, yeah. that was imparted to you. Indeed, yes.
1: Yeah, so if you do, he does a lot of um, workshops in Brighton, which is where he, you know, he is uh, based, um, sort of repair clinics and stuff like that. But yeah, if you do get the t- chance to take one of his classes, because he was doing them uh Unwind in Brighton. Let's mm-hmm. get Unwind and Unravel mixed up. Very careful not to say the <laughs> wrong one there. He was doing them earlier in the year and I was a bit sad that I couldn't, you know, it was all fully booked. Yeah. So yeah,
0: my dream was finally realised and <laughs> I'll do this class. Wow, well, I'm very pleased. Hopefully at some point I will be able to do it also. True.
1: Well, everyone
0: should. Everyone should,
1: yeah. And he's got a very interesting blog anyway if you um, yeah, have a look at that.
0: Mm. Cool. Well, in other news, the new winter issue of Pom Pom is out. Hooray! So yeah there's been a lot of that also recently packaging up magazines and you know sending them off on their merry way all over the world which is always a, a very exciting and fun thing to do. So tell us a little bit more about the issue. So we've got lots of lovely patterns including one from Bristol Ivy which is the cover gill.
1: I love that it's got a great like uh fold pocket. Yeah. Like a hoodie kind of
0: yeah, it's beautiful. And the yarn is lovely as well. It's from the Uncommon Thread. We've also got um, a very lovely uh, brioche design.
1: Brioche seems to be everywhere at the minute. I mean, not just the delicious bread style, mm-hmm. but yeah, it seems to be this massive influx yeah. in
0: brioche knits. It's super fun because I, I hadn't really ever knit anything in brioche and I was just, I haven't, I still haven't, but I just made a brioche <laughs> swatch because I thought, I don't actually know how this works. <laughs> and it's really, once you get into the rhythm of it, mm. it's yeah it's very satisfying and it is very kind of thick and squishy and just and because it's uh the fingering weight was used for the pattern so the brooklyn tweed loft but because the fabric is so thick it, it kind of feels nice and wintry but without it being heavy
1: mm. yes so excellent. It's beautiful
0: and also the curio mitts um by the lovely wenker lucas I think I probably mispronounced her name, so sorry. But, <laughs> That's the only um,
1: problem of working on a p- podcast so you need to pronounce things all the time. Yeah.
0: Than, I'll write that bit down and it'll be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, there's so there's too many to mention. I could just sit here and list them, but I shall not. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also have our first ever um, comic. Yes, a
1: lovely uh, Katie Green.
0: Yes, her little We're very same.
1: She's done released a book called Lighter Than My Shadow, mm-hmm. which is a very sort of moving uh, topic about her anorexia and sort of battle through that yeah um but yeah she has a lovely little drawing about uh, how knitting saved her life
0: yeah so that's well worth a look and we have like an awesome recipe which I've already made about six times for um, Jack Daniel's tiramisu because I've never (laughs) made tiramisu before that I was like hey wait tiramisu is like it's not even baking. <laughs> it's amazing. It's just like stirring stuff. It's like a fridge cake, basically, isn't it, really? Did you just you... buy a
1: bottle of Jog Dandles and like, hey, I can bake now. I and can just <laughs>
0: drink it. Wee. No, um, I made it like quite a few times in quick succession and was told by several people who um, had no real reason to lie to me. <laughs> um, they told me it was the best tiramisu they'd ever had. Wow. I felt good about that, I'll t- be t- honest. tiramisu. true
1: <laughs> They ain't gonna lie to you. No.
0: Yeah, so um, so check it out, guys. Um, and there's a, a strong pub theme running through it. We shot, shot it in a pub as well as have some exciting thoughts on pubs and other knitting, more specifically knitting-related things from the ever-thoughtful animalts. And, of course, um, I mean, Jack Daniels can get that in a pub. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good pub.
1: I do like when
0: we had a couple of
1: pod- podcasts ago, I did ask, uh, so you sum it up in three words, and your three words originally were uh, in a pub. <laughs> yeah. But there are many things out of folks. So, yeah. <laughs> so good at words. <laughs> <coughs> All right, well, more words in the form of uh, news and reviews. Woohoo! So, a date for your diary is the 6th of December. I mean, you've already got it written down, I'm sure, and you're counting down the days. It's the second pom pom party.
0: It is. Second annual pom-pom party, which will be held at The Last, which is a very beautiful um, bar in central London.
1: Although it does sound a bit ominous, you know, like The Last. last.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we've got um, a little pop-up market, as we did last time, which mm-hmm. we're super excited about. We've got um, Skein Queen, we've got Lioness Arts, Kettle Yarn Co, Yellow Bear Wares, and um, Plant Dyed Yarns from Elizabeth Beverley. Um, who may not be as familiar to you guys, but, but she... The clue in the title again. <laughs> yes, plant dyeing. Um, but she dyes really wonderful, subtle colours and her yarn was used for the blanket pattern, which is from our summer issue this year.
1: Ah, the ice cream Sunday esque one.
0: The very same. Delicious. And we will have live music. There will be drinks available. Um, yeah, it's going to be... I a, mean, what more reasons do you need? I, mean, I'm, I know, I'm knitting, ready, yeah, drinking, thing. talking to nice people. And do you remember last time there was good cheese? There was. Um, there may well be cheese again. Okay, good. Because I got to be the cheese, which was a great job. It's like, stand
1: here and just occupy the cheese area. Yeah.
0: Check if I can manage that. Yeah, it's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, so we're really, really excited about that. And we hope that any of you who are in um, a local-ish area mm-hmm. are going to be able to come. So that's the 6th of December. And just, you can look it up on our website. And of course, we'll post a link in the blog post to accompany this cast. Blogcast, cast cast at the last is that were the plans for the uh, <laughs> <Yes. laughs> next
1: plans anyway um
0: stop being so northern <laughs> <laughs> so our review for today is the exciting new book from cyrilia rose how convenient she also features on this podcast as an amazing
1: interviewee whoa oh, it's like we planned oh,
0: it great well done <laughs> so yes her new book
1: is uh magpies Bodies and nomads uh, it's a modern guide to uh
0: the modern knitter. Yes, and well, it's a very lovely hardback book, which is exciting. That's my main <laughs> review. The That's it. The main, it. It's all the main review at the paper. Oh, baby. Oh, so nice. No,
1: it is. It's wonderful. She has a huge selection of patterns in it. Um, almost like a manifesto, I think, of her kind of view on knitting. Like she's worked with a lot of big companies and sort of gone through the whole process of sort of seeing development of patterns. Mm-hmm. And also, like, working on shoots and stuff, so she has interesting art, like, her thoughts on being a stylist or buying vintage clothes mm-hmm. and then putting that with knitwear and what you choose colour and then choosing yarns. Uh, also, she's very... Um, I'm going to talk about some of the patterns I like as well, because there's um, two patterns that sort of use, uh, like, glocks, like, the actual, like, curly, unprocessed fleece. Right, yeah. So one of them's the Marion collar, which is this amazing kind of yellowy, acidy colour. Um and she sort of writes about like she, she loves Iceland and she's found found fur collars and she's like, Well, you know, not everyone's a fan of fur. Mm. So using like the sheep, which, you know, a lot of people are fans of, mm. sort of doing these like she does like a knitted it's like a double layer of just knit and then you kind of pull all these uh, locks through to make this big kind of curly fake fur kind of collar. And that's used in conjunction well looks very nice with the um Is the cardigan, which is on the front cover. Yes. Um yeah, I have to mention the photography actually, that's a beautiful by Jared Flood of uh, Brooklyn Tweed fame um, yeah. so yeah that that sort of brings the book whole,
0: together as a whole I think like really shows off um, you know the scenery in the patterns so. yeah and then the other one that has kind of like funny curly stuff is the is it the studio studio pullover yeah it's heart. She's,
1: it's kind of she says in the book she's based on a, a Kanye West uh tweet or something like he'd always tweet stuff and if he made a mistake and he'd be like hashtag it's a process and so she kind of references that and Pablo Picasso in the kind of the blurb to that pattern it's quite a fun book just the way she kind of talks about knitting patterns is not really like uh I don't know Less traditional. I think there's a sort of really interesting construction kind of details as well. There's one of the Cardis which has like, you're meant to be wearing it with a silk scarf, and there's like the pattern for that, like silky scarf. And it's got like little, uh, like almost epaulets, like along the chest, so you can kind of pin down your scarf. You know, yeah. I just like the word epaulette as well, so I should yes. be getting into knitting more <laughs> often. <laughs> Although we need more pronounceable knitting names, so people've got to, you know, you've got to find an original name, so when you type into Ravelry, it's the only one, but then Gonna think about the people who are pronouncing this later as well. So. Yeah, <laughs> first of bone, guys.
0: And there's also an amazing, like, really chunky kind of t shirt dress called Meta Tea, which <laughs> is like just I don't know, it's knit sideways and it just looks fantastic. Like, it just looks so kind of, it somehow doesn't look too bulky. And even though it's in really, really thick yarn, um, it still looks very kind of like sleek and stylish mm. somehow.
1: Mm excellent so uh what two thumbs up for cerulea oh yeah in the review
0: <laughs> yeah so check that book out for sure um it's out now mm-hmm,
1: indeed um great so yeah we'll be talking to her a little bit later in the podcast you can hear that but stay tuned for more uh, things
0: <laughs> more things coming up coming up after this no <laughs> advert break
1: More reviews? What do you say? What do you say about more reviews, Lydia? I say I'm not finished with them, so yeah, let's yeah. go. Yeah. Okay. Blacker Yarns, the lovely uh, peeps from there, and the sheep peeps and sheep's from Blacker Yarns. <laughs> peeps and the sheep. They've uh, sent us a lovely sample to review. some this time we've got the Pure Gotland DK. Um, so we did a little swatch in this. Uh, mm-hmm. What did you think?
0: I loved it. I'm having a big revival at the moment of what I like to refer to as woolly wools. <laughs> like, see, I know what you mean there. It just
1: sounds silly, but um,
0: a good like a classic straight off the sheep yarn. <laughs> yeah, and I know that not everyone um feels comfortable. You know, a lot of people I know have um, you know, feel like it's itchy and mm-hmm. they don't like it next to their skin. I mean, you know, obviously depending what you make, it doesn't have to be next to your skin. But I personally am lucky enough to not really it doesn't make me itchy. hm doesn't make me itchy. Um, and is it our good friend, Ricky, who says that she could wear a woolen thong? <laughs> oh God, I didn't know that. Oh wow. Because she doesn't find it itchy either. I'm not sure if I'm going to go that far. I'm just going to put that out there.
1: Yeah, the mental image you didn't need to put out there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think I did.
1: <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, so the Gotland is, yeah, one of these woolly wools and it's kind of, it's got a lot of good structure to it, mm-hmm. I would
1: say. Definitely. It's one of those, I think would work great with colour work because it's got a bit of nice sticky to Stickiness, mm-hmm. And they do actually say in blacker um, it would over beautifully. They've got a really subtle heather to this. It's sort of been um, put together uh, by hand-sorting the fleeces. They make sure that they get a lovely um, sort of rustic tweediness to it. And mm-hmm. then, yeah, sort of with the if you did choose to over-dye, of course, you can keep it natural, yeah. Um,
0: yeah, to create some sort of alternative colours for that uh, yeah. project if you're feeling adventurous and it's a very beautiful natural grey mm-hmm.
1: so it's yeah, Gotland uh, one of the sheeps, not the peeps from uh, <laughs> from uh, Black Um so yeah, the characteristics of that breed are very very fine, long and lustrous wool um, so from shades of silver to charcoal and uh, I'd like to point out this is a true grey, it's no brownish beige as you
0: sometimes get with a Jacob or Shetland mm-hmm. grey interesting, yeah were fans. What can you imagine knitting with this? Well I could imagine making some lovely mittens. Mm-hmm. would keep my hands very nice and warm. Um, I've been recently been reading up a lot about thrummed mittens. Ah yes. Um, if people
1: don't know that. Again it's this curly, you know, taking fleece. Mm-hmm. So you um, you knit the mitten, but every couple of stitches or so you have um, like a big lock of fleece that you kind of knit in to like for one stitch. Mm-hmm. But then the ends sort of point you have the ends going on the inside of the mitten. So inside that mitten, it's all, like, super fleecy because you've got all the ends kind of yeah. mingling in there like a, you know, like an inside jellyfish of wool. <laughs> yes. Um But, yeah, every time that kind of mats as well, so you get this, like, super thick insulating layer. Um That's something that I'm really kind of intrigued about at the moment.
0: Mm. So, yeah, maybe I'll try it with that. Yeah, you get, some, get some fleece, get mm-hmm. it going. Yeah. And, you know, I think cables would be beautiful in this.
1: Ooh.
0: Yes. The structure, Mm. a a fine cable. Mm. Feels quite fisherman y to me.
1: Yeah. A fisherman would take with it.
0: Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so we'll obviously put a picture of our swatch on Mm -hmm. the blog post so you can Mm -hmm. have a little looky. So thanks, Blacker, Um, our wonderful sponsors. Thanks. Thanks, guys. On Pomcast we are here with Cerillia Rose, who is known for her design collaborations with various people, and who is currently working with Silana and she is in London um teaching at Loop and also is here with us today. Hi Cerelia. Hello, Hello. <laughs> How's London treating you?
2: Oh so far it's really lovely. Excellent. Yeah. Have you been into to London before? Yes. I came as a 15-year-old girl, which I think is its the perfect city for a 15-year-old girl. I went to Primrose Hill, and it was just the loveliest place in the world, I thought. So, yeah, it was pretty good. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And you've come to London via Iceland. Yes. Uh, Which is
1: quite a special place for you, a sort of spiritual home. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us more why it's so important?
2: Sure, I get that question a lot and sometimes I I find something and I'm like, this is why, this is the answer, and uh, most recently that was cats. (laughs) It it really is. (laughs) The cats are super uh, free and affectionate and they're just everywhere. and So that's a great reason. yeah, it's a culture that loves books, and they write a lot, they read a lot, they sing a lot, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of had a singing past, and I got back into it recently, uh, forming, uh, joining a, a Icelandic choir in Seattle, and it was really easy to sort of speak the language when I was singing rather than trying to make sentences. It was, sort of took the pressure off. So that's those are just two of the reasons. Um, it's just a really special place for knitters, I think, because it's... Um, you don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to explain wool. It's just understood that wool is the best and you should be wearing it at <laughs> all times as much as possible. Um, but yeah, to, to see it on babies and to see it on janitors and um, people, you know, doing construction work on the street and they have like an old loopy with the elbows all ripped up and that's really cool. Um, I just love it all. I mean, there's just, there are new reasons every time I go. So Oh,
1: lovely. Are you
2: finally picking up the language now? I'm sort of picking up the language. It's gotten to the point where now I can't, uh, zone out and just enjoy the sounds. I'm I'm busy trying to pick things up that I know. So yeah, that's kind of that's kind of exciting. It's not as hard as people think. Some of the sounds are really difficult, but if you've studied any Germanic language um, and if you're an English speaker, it's really not that hard. There's okay, Te- of... teach us a word that would be useful. Oh, my favorite word. One of my favorites is. <laughs> which is, um, <laughs> so you say when you see someone on the street that you like to see, or if you want to say goodbye, like, <laughs> like it's really good to see, the, see you. And then they'll say, yeah, <laughs> and it's always it's so much feeling. It's like, it just makes you feel really good. So how did you originally get into knitting and knitwear design? Mm-hmm. Um, I learned how to knit from my grandmother around age seven, which seems to be the standard in at least the U.S., and um, I learned then, did it obsessively for a summer or something, and then dropped it until um, college when I had my senior year of college. I had pretty much nothing left to do. I had taken all my main courses and was just taking kind of silly Classes that didn't really count, and so I got into blogging and um, picked up the book by Debbie Stoller, Stitch and Bitch. Of course, the, mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. one was—I was a bust reader, and I loved uh, the way that she talked about knitting, and um, it just she made it seem really young and fun and hip, and and that kind of brought me back into the knitting world. And I um, was getting yarn at the big box retailers, and um, I did get a hold of the Vogue Knitting Encyclopedia, which has a table in the back that is kind of a design-your-own template, Mm -hmm. so you can choose the silhouette and then the sleeve style. And I really wanted to make a sweater, the black V-neck cardigan that Kurt Cobain would wear. That's, like, what got me (laughs) back into it. So I think it was... um, Maybe I was younger when when I tried that, actually. Yeah, I totally was younger when I tried that. So there, were, there was a blip before the college obsession, but the college one was really the one that kind of launched into the career because um, I was at college, as I said, and starting grad school and then needed some extra money. So I started working at Webb's, the yarn store in uh, Western Massachusetts, and mm-hmm. it just took over my life really quickly. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how the career started. But the knitting started just with my Nana, learning on squeaky acrylic yarn and, <laughs> and metal needles and making little misshapen blankets and I was a really tight knitter so it was very like grungy and tight. and It was horrible looking. <laughs> so I just read a great thing in the June's, uh, June Hemman Hyatt book, June Hemond's Hyatt book, Principles of Knitting, where she says when you're learning a new knitting style or learning to knit, mm-hmm. you should make your swatch and then throw it away, which is of course really wasteful, but it's, it's kind of a nice idea to just like get it out of your sight because it's always going to remind you of how bad and hard it was. I don't know, what do you think like when you're starting to teach someone?
1: I don't know, I like seeing because like I have taught beginners and then kind of had this progression where you start off with like a weird misshape and coaster, mm-hmm. and then you cast that off, and then start again. And you're like, look how much different yeah. this looks. It's like you have a little journey of like how your tension and like mm-hmm. uh, drop stitches is kind of progress into a more kind of regular mm, stitch definitely pattern. i don't know yeah. i like that kind of journey
2: mm-hmm.
1: i don't know maybe then you can throw it away but. yeah
0: <laughs> i've probably inadvertently thrown away a lot of swatches yeah, yeah. <laughs> like mm-hmm. just losing them <laughs> i have when i first i crocheted before i knit mm-hmm. and i made some really ugly things <laughs> really ugly yeah my mom wore the hat that i made Aww, yeah, that's <laughs> she's a nice mom
2: yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then so did you manage to finish the Kurt Cobain jumper? No
2: it's like still in pieces somewhere who knows where it ended up yeah. but we moved so much so it probably it might have gotten left to that house I'm not sure I definitely lost interest and in, mm. I don't know discovered boys or something <laughs> But um, yeah, like, I definitely... don't just have to make jumpers yeah. that <laughs> look like boys exactly. I can hang <laughs> out with boys <laughs> yep. so yeah I put it aside and um, that was an unrealized dream but um, definitely knit a bunch of cardigans when I first got started with design I, in fact I think I knit a black cardigan as one of my first designs so maybe it was like my way of completing that
1: there's gonna be some grunge fans somewhere who found your cardigan oh yes yes.
2: (laughs) well looking back at old photos i realized that he was more famous for the green fuzzy mohair one which looks really fun maybe maybe i'll make a new one now make a Mm -hmm. new pattern exclusive you heard it (laughs) (laughs) green mohair yes
1: Fluffy things are good. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Okay, so uh, your new book, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to get the order of the words wrong, so That's you okay. need to tell me the name. Yeah. So
2: It's Magpies, Homebodies and Nomads, it's and wonderful. I know it's a mouthful. <laughs> so I know, um, it's, it's
1: like an eclectic mix, and mm-hmm. I like how you have these sort of sections within the book which are dedicated to the magpies, We you mm-hmm. have that one special skein of yarn. Yeah. Um, but you also have a lot of kind of philosophy and almost like a manifesto within the book. Mm-hmm like different kind of uh descriptions of your creative process Mm -hmm. and different aspects
2: of knitting was it always the plan to have those two together sort of we uh my editor Melanie Faelic and I were trying to come up with something that would be not just another pattern book because there are plenty of those out there and it's not like I specialize in any particular technique although going through this process has made me aware of what I am good at and what I like to do and sort of what makes me me as a designer um so those kind of emerged, and but still, I think the the value I bring to the knitting world is like my experience is quite different from everyone else's. They most of my peers have done the indie pattern route where they're selling downloads on Ravelry or um, doing that kind of thing on their own, whereas I've sort of done done it a different way and worked with companies. And so my experiences are quite different. And luckily, they've been extremely diverse over the past ten years almost. Um, so I think it was. I always love reading behind-the-scenes information. Nylon Magazine has an article called Factory Girl where a columnist will go you know, and see how Chanel perfume is made or how jeans are made. And I just love seeing anything behind the scenes. And so I kind of wanted to give that same peek to people who might not have it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's kind of where it started. And then, yeah, once I started writing, I realized, oh, I have a lot to say and share. And <laughs> so I'm glad people are enjoying the writing part because that was, uh, it's it's super personal. I mean, it's all hard to put into words, you know, what you feel about knitting and also putting it into writing and committing to certain things, like having a controversial opinion on something is, as you know, like Mm -hmm. you can get into some flame wars online. And so putting that into print is even scarier. So I've tried to stay out of a lot of drama in the knitting world. And, um, yeah, but it seems like people are liking the the writing, so that's pretty good. And the title itself, <laughs> getting back to that, like um I just wanted to do something that was maybe going to arouse curiosity and the original title was I had in mind was Brickle Knits, and mm-hmm. that was a little too exotic and <laughs> but it, I feel like the title has also captured the idea of just, you know, what knitters have inside their brains, it's just all over the place a lot of the time and
1: yeah. You sort of used the term um, bricolour to sort of, is mm-hmm. someone pronouncing that right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. I'm, go- it's
2: French and I'm terrible at French. <laughs> <in> that. <laughs> okay, yeah. that's alright then. Yep.
1: Better as uh, Icelandic. Mm-hmm. You know. yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've got to coin this term to yourself and it's used within the book. Can mm-hmm. you tell us a little bit more about that?
2: So that's a term that I borrowed from the art world and it actually just means collage or mixture of things and I was always consumed with the question of originality and I guess frustrated by it and it mm-hmm. stunted me as an artist or designer. Um, I never thought of myself as an artist or designer in college and I always thought, you know, I never went to design school because I just thought, well, I don't have anything to say. I'm, I'm, you know, everything that's, it's all been said before. And um, so when I discovered bricolage and I thought, well, that's kind of, I love collage. And I love to, when I design something or make something, I'm pulling from lots of elements and I'm a natural researcher. I love to do that and just obsessed with pop culture and different cultures. And, um, so when I found out that there was a term for it, then it really became a touchstone for me. And, um, that's still how I design. Everything contains at least, you know, four or five elements and whether that's technique or, you know, some influence from a a different culture or, you know, some color scheme I've pulled off of a wall, like they're all very mixed cocktails of things. So
1: yeah it's a good term to use for knitting yeah which mm-hmm. just pull on all these different elements
2: yeah we're all working from I mean it's really hard to innovate in knitting because it's such an I guess it's a relatively new needlecraft, mm-hmm. but um we're all working from stitch dictionaries and there's only so many different stitches and unless you're doing something totally avant-garde it's like it's hard to be totally original every time and I don't really feel the imperative to be that I just think you know every person's knitting is going to be unique to them because of the mark of the maker, you know, the hand of that, and what what choice you make for yarn and gauge and all of that stuff. So, yeah, that kind of consoled my little frustration about originality. <laughs> it's like, no, it's going to be original because I made it and no one else is me. So,
1: so you know, they say art is all art is appropriation. It's just um, yeah,
2: exactly, that. and that's not
1: bad. That's <laughs> yeah. kind of that's kind of our game now. Mm-hmm. You were saying you, when you started, you kind of didn't go up for want of a better word, traditional route Mm of like starting your indie patterns and then moving on. Mm -hmm. Do you think there's been advantage to you being able to have worked in sort of bigger spheres of design? Yeah,
2: I mean, it's funny, a lot of people call me a designer, but I'm actually what I love to do most is develop yarns and and then market them. So um, yarn development is something I hope to keep doing more of because it's insanely fun. And, you know, as any control freak will like, appreciate just getting to pick the exact fiber blends and the count yeah. and the way the label looks and the names and the colors. It's like, it's really, really fun. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> and then by the time they're done, it's like, oh yeah, now I get to knit with them. But um, <laughs> That's my yeah. <laughs> exactly. I love every color. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, so I do a lot of that and I love that. Um, one of the big advantages of working with teams and with a little bit more in terms of resources that I don't have to do everything myself. Um, and while I admire people who do, I really love working with teams like graphic designers and stylists and all mm-hmm. of that and having support around me and, um, and also having different viewpoints. I think that when you have to kind of work with other people instead of just yourself, it pushes you forward and uh, kind of clarifies your, your views. So that that's really fun. Um, and then just working with different companies. Every company has presented a different challenge. And I think that's made me grow faster than I maybe would have working on my own because each company has its own hurdles and strengths. And so that's been really interesting.
0: (laughs) So when you were talking about the writing in your book and you were saying that you thought you might have some controversial things, is there anything in particular...? yes comes to mind oh absolutely
2: (laughs) it's funny I don't like sometimes I think I shouldn't share how much failing I do I could but I I actually love sharing that because I feel like it makes people feel people always feel like oh that sweater is beyond me I can't do that when I'm better and I'm like no that's how you get better you tackle a sweater that is going to force you to look something up Mm -hmm. and try it and what I love about knitting besides knitting professionally is that there's really no deadline if it takes you three hours to make one bobble that's okay I mean it's There's there's no imperative to work really quickly. I don't sew because sewing machines kind of, (laughs) once you hit that little pedal, it just like zooms ahead and that's not the case with knitting. You're doing everything. You're in control of the speed and um, yeah, there's no reason to be afraid of something because you know, like Elizabeth Zimmerman says, like most children and people with like reasonable intelligence can pull it off. Um, (laughs) so, um, yeah, the controversial things are admitting that I fail a lot when I'm trying to get to the place I want to be or want to design to be. And then also, um, I'm pretty shameless about taking inspiration from other garments even. And Mm -hmm. I don't, when I do that, it's uh, either a woven garment, so I translate it to knitwear, or it's uh, a machine knit that I kind of add knitterly, knitterly details to. And I I have a... I don't know, I need to come up with a phrase for it because I don't claim those as my designs. I did write the patterns for them, and I may have made tweaks, but I would never walk around saying, like, yes, this is completely mine. I completely mm-hmm. reveal my sources, which I think makes it okay. And, you know, <laughs> it's, a, it's a huge debate online about copyright and originality mm-hmm. and all of this. And um, I don't really get too bothered with you know figuring out you know whether that's right ethically or not because it's just I'm not concerned with that I'm concerned with making some clothes that I want to wear and uh, so that's a little bit of a controversial Mm -hmm. viewpoint I think Um, there are some things that I feel yes I think I'm the first person to do this or the first person who's doing this now and I'm proud of those moments but they don't come that often so um, and then there are times when I wake up with a design idea in my head and I wonder like Oh God, is this actually my idea? Did I see it somewhere? Or like how that feels a bit odd too. Yeah. So I th- I think of myself as a vessel. Like <laughs> I'm just, one of the things <laughs> when we
1: used to work together,
2: we'd always come up with names for colours. Is oh. that one of the things you like? Like naming colours? Absolutely. The yeah. And I um I always have this story that I tell, but it's I still am waiting for my lawsuit because <laughs> <laughs> So, um, when I worked at Baroco, we had to be careful because we would always trademark our names and, and it's crazy, but there are lawyers out there who just come after people who, you know, infringe on copyright. And um, Metallica, the band, sued mm-hmm. Barocco, the yarn company, Did at one they? point. Because there was a novelty yarn called Metallica. No. Crazy. The baseball team, the Red Sox, uh, we came after Barocco for Barocco Sox, which was also crazy. Um, and then... Even the color Tabasco, which I did not name, but that's the company came after them mm-hmm. for that. So it's mostly a cease and desist. But them. Tabasco is a place. Exactly. Exactly. But the color <laughs> um, was the color of the pepper right, sauce. I so, see. But I did a collection of yarns where I named them after British foods and um, pub foods specifically. So mm-hmm. I did, you know, rocket, which isn't maybe a pub food, but and Stilton and ale. Mm-hmm. And was there and a p- mushy peas? Well, that's <laughs> a great idea. <laughs> but there was, I should have done that. Pastry crust. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think I did. Scampi. <stretching>. Jellied eel. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, so no, the blue is always really hard to do. I mm-hmm. tend to do food color names because. I'm always thinking of food, and it's. I think it's a good thing to put people's mind in the space where they're like craving. It's a good. It's a good retail impulse to be like, "Mmm, delicious." Um, so when I come to blue, it's like blueberry. That's the only naturally occurring blue <laughs> food, basically. So um, I said snozberry, <laughs> and Brilliant. Uh, yeah, yeah. yes. And I thought like, well, if the state of rolled Doll comes after me, bring it on. I uh. want that. You know, I I really yeah. love rolled Doll, So still waiting on that one, but <laughs> it's sort of like. Um, it's, yeah, it's like honoring Rob Yes, Dom yeah, an homage, anything. exactly, yeah. That's what I thought, so... But yeah, I love naming colors. It's still one of my favorite things to do. I was going to say, we have our uh, classic questions we like sure. to ask people, mm-hmm. um, which is, what's your spirit animal? I thought about this, yeah. and I'm going to be totally pandering to the UK crowd, but I'm going to say Urban Fox, which I saw yeah, last night for the first time. And nice. the reasons why are, I prowl around cities as well, I sometimes go into hiding, like in the bushes, um, and I love snacks, which they also seem to. And that so you you're pouring through. Do going, you eat for yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no yeah. comment. <laughs> No, but I do <laughs> wrestle around in fridges and eat sometimes strange things like living alone and working at home. You sometimes end up making odd mm-hmm. snacks and you know, I just, I'm coming back from Iceland with a bunch of dried fish jerky and that's not exactly normal. So, um, yeah, I saw my first one last night I feel like we manifested it cause we wanted to see one and then there it was. But, um, <laughs> yeah. And then they always look really cool. They have like Really, they do. Cool they kind of rule the street, kind of like that. Yeah, you know, exactly. And, you. and the ladies are called vixens. So, urban fox for now. Excellent, <laughs> Excellent choice. Answer. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I like it.
0: And then our other classic question is. Um, what would your desert island yarn be?
2: Yeah, um, I'm going to have to be diplomatic and just say a type of yarn because I work with so many but yeah. Um, yeah, the yarn that I love most is usually like what I call a kitchen sink yarn it has a bit of different fibres so mostly wool, I love wool most of all and then maybe some alpaca and some silk and, you know, maybe something odd like possum, and the yarns that are kind of close to this are usually from Fiber Company. I like mm-hmm. Fiber Company yeah. yarns a lot, and then Zalana has, I was a fan before I worked there, and um, and then just straight up, like, Barocco Ultra Alpaca, which is half wool and half alpaca. Um, I sort of like the ones that sort of blend the best of two different fibers or three mm. different fibers. And um, and just yarns that are well-behaved. Like, you know, <laughs> they just do what's it says on the tin and makes a nice fabric and doesn't need, like, special high-maintenance care. And Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of those basic, mm. not too posh, not too, you know, cheap, but right in the middle. Do you of have best. a preferred thickness? Yeah, I tend to like worsted weight. Um, I think you're the yeah. first person to choose Yeah, that. really? Oh, oh no, wait. Did... Um...
0: But apart from that, it's been mostly four-plies, hasn't it?
2: Interesting. I love all weights. I don't tend to knit with lace weight because I like to feel my knitting, so I like to have the weight in the fabric. That's, like, Mm -hmm. the best part for me. And um, so I don't work with lace that feels like nothing. Um, Yeah, I do work with DK sometimes, and I like the fabric it makes. I'm also sort of known for chunky, really chunky Mm -hmm. projects. I just did a dress that people are still asking for the pattern for, which I find a bit insane because it's really impractical, but it's um, the Loopy Mango big chunky yarn. Yeah. And, oh, wait, I think yeah. I've seen
1: a picture of this Was your, you're mm-hmm. like wearing the needles that you've knit with yeah, as a belt, as like, piss through. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that
2: didn't last very long. I felt <laughs> a bit sillier than they looked already. But, um, yeah, so that is a weight that i don't work with often but i really enjoy it and um of course it's really fast so that's pretty good so <laughs> i have it very heavy though to um it was pretty okay, heavy right. and uh, also uh but it was really nice i was at fashion shows all day and I, it was really cushy to sit on and nice. was exceedingly warm i was like wearing no jacket and people thought it was to show off but it was because i was sweltering so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> fully insulated exactly, exactly. I, I do think i'm gonna write that pattern up so because oh, no. uh, it's really fun to make so Cool. And actually, Stephen West coached me through that one because I was knitting it the night before. I kept ripping out. I wanted it to have a hood, and then that didn't work. And um, He kept slapping my hand because I would go on Instagram, and he's like, why aren't you knitting? <laughs> so I wish he could just be around all the time, like, coaching me <laughs> too and keeping me on mentor. task. Yeah. Yeah. He pretty much knits from the time he wakes up till the time he goes to bed. So. I was. I figured he must yeah. because he's a the productive person, that see, yeah. Is, yeah. yeah, and he's not that... I mean, he's fast, but it's not like, oh, my God, the needles are going to catch on fire. It's just... That he does it all day long. The so, consistency. Yeah. Mm.
1: So, <laughs> I remember once you were telling me your housemates were asking about patterns, and they're like, "So, what's a you know recommended time?" Or like they thought like a recipe would be like, "Oh, preparation thirty yeah. minutes.
2: Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> jumper, you know, yeah. a
1: week." They like, were like the amazed question. there was
0: no. How long does it take? Time frame. Yeah. 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 Everyone's like, "How long does it take you to knit like yeah, a jumper?" And I'm like, like it, "I don't really know. It depends. depends. Of... It depends on so many things." Mm, and yeah. I'm unlikely to just be knitting a jumper with yeah. nothing really else to do mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for any
2: length of time so yeah. i wouldn't really know how to time it yeah do one I of think. the things i told i tell i tell my finishing students a lot is that um you should take as much time to finish as... Well, I read that once. You mm-hmm. should take as much time to finish as as you do to knit. And that seems crazy because that might mean, like, four weeks or something. But right. it, it does take... And it should take longer than you think to fin- to do yeah. finishing. So, yeah. But, That's
1: a good tip. Yeah, I never yeah. always forget
2: that. You kind of get excited and you're like, this yeah, is something
1: and then... It.
0: Yeah, And then it ends up, you know, looking bad. I feel like it's something you grow into, the finishing mm-hmm. bit, because when you first start knitting... You're so excited that you made a thing that mm-hmm. looks like a thing. Yeah. You know, like, it looks like a hat. Yeah. Yes, and you put it on your head, mm-hmm. and this is all really exciting. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I've got to sew in ends and right. stuff. And that just seems like this insurmountable and incredibly yeah. boring thing. Sure. But then at some point, it becomes, yeah, part of the process, yeah. and you start to devote time to it mm-hmm. as a special extra yeah. kind of... Yeah, it becomes just the kind of, like, mm-hmm. bookend.
2: You're like, yeah. And exactly yeah i really enjoy it and i think if people don't enjoy it it's like trick yourself into liking it like watch a movie and drink some wine and just sort of like try to relax and and think of it as another part of the process and not just like a chore that you have to do yeah like you have to stop yourself thinking that you finished when mm. you cast off yeah
0: um so you have any final plans while you're in london Ooh, uh <laughs> or like what would you yes. must do
2: kind of thing. Everyone's like been do? laughing at me, but I kind of wanna to go to Boots. That's like my <laughs> main mission. So anyone who follows me on Instagram will know that I love nail polish and lipstick and potions and things like that. So Boots is exotic to me, so I'm gonna go there, hopefully. And um I had all these plans, but it's kind of turning into a worky trip. So um I would love to see the Tate Modern and the and Liberty and um the V and A Museum and just and there's a museum about branding and packaging. Yeah, yeah. Is that like a smaller museum maybe I could tackle that in an afternoon or so what would you recommend for a knitter visiting London if I could go to just one place or oh, or a crafty wow. you know colorful obsessed you know yeah person?
0: I mean the thing is is that the victor you can't really beat the v yeah mm-hmm. I was gonna say that's one of my yeah. for sheer mm-hmm. volume yeah definitely um but let's go somewhere but uh, but yeah. the problem with the v is if yeah. you were just if you had like one thing to do yeah. even if you spent a whole day there you would never see even uh, close yeah. to what they're. I, every time I go there, I pick a part of the world yeah. and a craft cool. and see that that part of the world and that craft because there's no other. It's huge. Yeah, it's amazing. It's like, huge. I once spent like I had some time
1: to kill and a lot of time to kill. Yeah. I was like meeting someone. I was mm-hmm. like five hours. Great.
0: Yeah. You know, I saw any like uh, sculpture. Or yeah, something. A, <laughs> a, yeah. a Tiny like mm-hmm. smidgen of the. But VNA. it's so beautiful as well. Like it's a really mm-hmm. lovely old building and it's got the yeah. kind of a garden in the middle. But mm-hmm. if I was gonna not not go for the V&A. What would I go for? <laughs>
1: I'd have to. There's a like a smaller museum, mm-hmm. um, which is like down in Southeast London, where mm-hmm. I've like where it's where I first moved to when That's I moved true. to London like six years ago. So mm-hmm. I always have like a kind of a soft spot for yeah. it. And it's just like a it's called the Horniman Museum, and it's like a classic kind of Victorian gent goes off and like collects anthropological, yeah. int- you know, antiquities and sure. stuffed animals. But one of the best things is um, there's a giant stuffed walrus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, which is kind of like the symbol of a museum yeah. it's when they would uh, you know explorers would go off and they'd shoot things mm-hmm. and they'd gut it all out and they send it back to be stuffed mm-hmm. and these people wouldn't quite, in England wouldn't quite know about these creatures yeah uh, and so the walrus kind of has these like folds of skin oh, yeah. but because they didn't know that they kind of kept stuffing it and stuffing it and oh, stuffing yeah. it and like there's more space so they yeah. bring it, bring it, bring it. and it's this giant oh, walrus wow. that they have on it's this a like and uh, yeah. this fake kind of uh, iceberg thing oh, and funny. it kind of sits there and it's looks really cute. kind of yeah. chunky and cute mm-hmm. and you know a ginormous walrus I mean I, yeah. that's just great it's adorable it's we were true. talking about tumblers and stuff and like bad taxidermy is one of those yes, and yes exactly and I'm yeah. sure that
2: one shows up but it's not even
1: bad it's kind of endearing taxidermy and they have, yeah, they have, like, quite mm-hmm. a lot of taxidermy. And then there's an aquarium within the museum as oh, well, cool. like a little mini aquarium sure. with, like, loads of beautiful yeah. uh, jellyfish and stuff. Cool. And there's, like, rooms with, like, full of interesting musical instruments mm-hmm. and, like, sculpture. It's kind mm-hmm. of quite it's everything. neat and yeah. contained. Okay. But, yeah, and they've got beautiful gardens as well, yeah. so.
2: That sounds like my favourite place in Providence. The city is kind of reminding me of Providence a little. And um, there's a place near RISD. I think it is the RISD um it's the nature lab. It's the Edna something nature lab. I forget her last name, but, um, and it's a tiny little place. that's meant for sketching and sketching from uh, sort of life, but it's stuffed things. And they have weird animals like albino frogs. And those are alive. Like some of the animals are alive. There's a tortoise that hung out there and a snake. And so you never quite know what's alive and what's <laughs> not, what's stuffed. So it's a really creepy, weird place to go. And, um, there was a deer mouse that's mounted. It's really cute and tiny. And, um, they had a sign posted on the door that was like, "Please keep bringing, uh, please stop bringing us dead birds. Like, we are not able to take them in. Like, please call <laughs> animal control. Like, I guess people were just leaving specimens on their doorstep. No, man. So, yeah, I love that place. If you're
1: ever in Providence, go. I'm gonna, I like the idea of like you start drawing something and you realize when it's alive or dead, it moves after half an hour of drawing. <laughs> you
0: know. Yeah. So, thank you so much for coming and joining us today, Serenia. Absolutely. Saveria. We hope you enjoy your time, your time in London. Thank now. you. So, yeah.
1: What do you, basically, it's our top picks of Ravelry, but that's not snappy enough. I need mm. a rhyme in there somewhere. Yeah. Knit um, picks?
0: That's already a thing. Oh, good. <laughs> uh. Rav picks? Ra- um. Ravelry
1: real- realness?
0: <laughs> yeah, okay. Um. So, what's on, what's on the cards okay, today for so Ravelry anyway. realness? Ravelry
1: realness. <laughs> Again, we'll come up with a better title guys. But basically stuff which is come under this theme of quick knits because the festive period is upon us. Some people to mean do you like to knit for gifts for the Christmas period? No.
0: No, <laughs> no I don't because I'm it's... too busy and important. Far <laughs> I'm too busy and important. No. I decided a while ago that I should only knit for people's birthdays. Yes. Because at Christmas there are lots of people there and mm. if you've only knit some people presents could get awkward. Yeah. And birthdays do tend to be spread out across the year. So. Yeah, or slightly more spread out. Yeah, yeah. So although I have knit some Christmas presents, mm-hmm. um I don't I don't often.
1: Yes. But if you do, and more importantly, if you find yourself at uh, sort of a loose end mm-hmm. loose end of your yarn, you keep following it and it turns <laughs> into a, a piece of knitting. Yes. Uh, loose ends, maybe that's the name. No, it's rubbish. <laughs> anyway, there will be another section. <laughs> so yeah, we have our suggestions of quick knits mm-hmm. for Christmas. Uh, or just the general festive period when you're feeling uh, you're a loose end, gifty, yeah. <laughs> loose end. So, uh, we have gone for the bias of the top pom pom patterns that we'd use. So, one of them, um, which I've actually used for gifts, mm-hmm. um, is the Skipworth mitts, which are all the way from issue one. ah by the lovely Megan. Vintage pom pom. Oh, so old school. Um, yes, by the lovely uh, Megan Fernandez. Oh, also the editor, what a great, lovely gal. Um, yes, yeah, so that's been really useful because I did have a period over Christmas where I knit about four or five pairs one Christmas and sort of churned them out really quickly. And then I even had an emergency pair, for if there's someone I hadn't given a gift mm-hmm. to, and I'd be like, But I made you these hand made knittens. Well, you know, it didn't make it any less important because I didn't make it for them. Um, but yes, that, it's almost like I used to have emergency gifts which were cherry, Terry's chocolate
0: oranges. Nice. Uh, sort of that's give people.
1: Good. And also, they're very satisfying to wrap. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, those are good. I have also made those, and they are very quick indeed.
1: Uh, Also, quite economical. Uh, I have made a pair out of uh, one ball of Samilla Grosso, which is only 80 metres, but you do have to be careful. It's, like, literally just on the cusp of finishing that ball. So I did kind of omit, like, one or two rows of the the length just to make sure that they were just, you know, just enough. But, yeah,
0: that's a very uh, successful, quick gift. I made... um... So, you know, having said that I don't knit Christmas presents because they it's too many things at once. Actually, both of my sisters have their birthdays within two days of each other. So I made them both a take heart hat um, for their birthdays last year, which went down a treat. Mm. I chose different colours for them, of course, and of had course. the lovely fluffy pom poms from Toft. Um, and they were very, yeah, really, really quick. And just the beautiful cables make them look... Just very kind of impressive. Yeah. Yes, they are. It's a beautiful design.
1: little nice little heart. Yeah. In the cables. Hence oh, the name. Take heart.
0: That's both yes. Fiona Alice again. It is. She's um, a good shout out this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, um, one of my recommendations. Also, I've made my brother... Um, this isn't a pom-pom thing, actually. <gasps> um, Stephen West's um, got a pattern for lovely fingerless gloves called Collar. Collaire. C O L E R. Again,
1: pronouncing the names for confusing.
0: Uh... <laughs> anyway, but those are awesome and they're really really quick. And because they're they're like ribbed, they have a, a cable pattern on the back, but they're ribbed all over. So sizing, mm-hmm. Not just a they sort of fit everyone, which is useful for man hands. Yeah. <laughs> man handling <laughs> those cables. Mm-hmm. Um.
1: So another great pattern, um, this time free, which is always handy when you're trying to you know do the gifting. Mm-hmm. Is the lovely uh, tie patterns. That featured recently on the pom-pom blog um got 17 seeds yes and rye yes a classic look maybe for those avril lavigne fans in your life Mm -hmm. well you know she used to
0: wear a lot of ties yeah i dating
1: myself by using that reference you might be (laughs) (laughs)
0: um but yeah um, and the uh nice young men who modeled the ties for us were very taken with them i must say they were skeptical yeah of woolen ties they were, and actually, neither of the ties really have a lot of wool in them. But I think that they would work really well with wool because we yeah. we used um, kind of silky blends for the samples. Um, but there are a lot of woolen ties in the world. Yeah,
1: it does sound a bit seventies originally when you say that. Like, yes, hmm, woolen tie. But yeah, I think nice. Kind of, they've got the nice kind of textured stitch, so they don't look too uh, geography teacher,
0: right? <laughs> no, they look great, and and actually, both boys after the shoot were like so. Can I keep this? Oh, really? like, well, they are really keen on them. That's a shining um, endorsement. And yeah.
1: ties, great for like festive parties, you know. Yes. You need to smarten up. Oh, wait, here's your woolen tie.
0: <laughs> so then last, is this last? I don't know, but I, um, I also think that hand-knitted dishcloths are excellent Christmas okay. gifts. Okay,
1: so we now have a message from our sponsor, Lydia Glock, on her campaign for dishcloths as gifts.
0: Contrary to popular belief, dishcloths make um, exquisite luxurious and thoughtful gifts for mm. this festive season now when i mentioned to sophie that i might um knit people dishcloths as gifts she made a sort of ew face no it was
1: kind of like oh because i know someone who got given a gift from their husband which was shower cleaner oh my god <laughs> but in the defense the whole build-up to the story was that she used to complain about how the shower was really hard to clean and they had like a really she bought like a really rubbish one and she's like, Well I gotta finish using it now, I'm not gonna buy another thing. Mm. Uh, and when she unwrapped it it was a bit like, Oh and he was like, But it's from waitrose. It's a funny joke present. <laughs> it wasn't he was that was this genuine oh. considerate
0: I'm gonna solve this problem. Oh dear. With shower cleaner. <laughs> and yeah, he had bought it from like the most He should have knitted her dishcloth and okay. go with it. There you go, and, and that would have been, saved yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay, so Right, so if that's you just give made it, me thought, think of that yeah, story. Fair enough. Though, yeah, I think if you gave them to your mum, yeah, could be taken in the wrong way. Maybe you know, because there are gifts like that that you just think, "Ooh, harsh." Yeah, like shower cleaner, or if you buy somebody like a new iron and they didn't ask for one, <laughs> and it's basically you being like, "You do ironing, and this is functional for you, oh, the what? ironer of the house." You are
1: wrinkly. Take this iron. Yeah, exactly.
0: You are stinky. Here's some shower gel. That kind of thing, but. I knitted myself some um, dishcloths last year, and they were great. To <laughs> gift yourself. I, I gave Get it to it myself. Yourself. I thought, oh, Lydia, you've been working so hard. Here's some dishcloths. And I love them. I washed them in the washing machine because I made them with a thing that could be washed in the washing machine, some machine washable cotton, and they lasted a long time. They are very good at, cle- at scrubbing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so Diana Waller... Has a free pattern for dishcloths called housewarming, and I think if knitted in lovely colours and maybe you can make a few of them, mm-hmm. if maybe a, as a and as a housewarming present to line the walls of your house to keep them warm. Exactly, like tiles, <laughs> like tiles, <laughs> make <Making> a bedspread. <laughs> yeah, now, exactly, Dishcloths. So I don't know. I don't know how you guys feel about this. You can let us know.
1: Yeah, I think yeah. I mean, basically, a dishcloth is one step away from being a face cloth which are quite nice gifts as
0: well oh that's true you could just rebrand them yeah i've seen like see the know... power of branding
1: <laughs> but like you know nice textured sticks you got nice kind of textured exfoliating cloth yeah. you know something like
0: that there we go yeah i won okay. you round. <laughs> that's hey guess what you're getting for christmas okay? oh, yeah <laughs> thanks <laughs> so that's our ravelry realness yes yeah.
1: i've uh... been watching a lot of rupaul recently the only i came up with that name
0: just no, no bad thing, of course. But we'll maybe we'll stick with that it's title, maybe something. not. So uh, yeah. So good luck with the gift knitting, guys. Yeah. If you yeah. do it. Yep.
1: So I'm two for Pink with the next colour of the cast. Oh, you now.
0: Hmm. I Would just, you say you're looking at it through rose-tinted
1: glasses? You could say, um, I'm thinking pink. Right. I'm in the pink of health when it comes to mm. this colour. I don't know what it is. Hey, we're reviewing pink. Not reviewing pink. Hey, we're talking about pink. It's the colour of the cast.
0: Uh, hey. why don't you just say so? Hey,
1: well, <laughs> Keep it in the dark about these things. So, pink. Where did that name come from? I'll tell you. <laughs>
0: Wonder no more. <laughs>
1: So, um, originally it came from flowers, which were called pinks, Hmm. and the name of these flowers um, came from the frilled edge uh, of the petals, and that Ah. came from the verb to pink, which dates from the 19th century, uh, which means to decorate with perforated or punch pattern, uh, which is possibly from the German pinken, which is to peck. So, you know, imagine a little pecked kind of uh, piece of flower, Mm -hmm. the petals, it's all become frilly along the edge. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in the 17th century, uh, this then moved to a noun uh, to become the colour pink, which originated from the flower. Mm. And also, um, this sort of etymology comes from, um, links into where pinking shears, so your scissors which give you a lovely wavy edge on your fabric, on your your flowers.
0: I mean, if you want to neaten up some flowers with some pinking shears. Yeah, you could.
1: You could. Uh, So yeah, that's where it comes from. Wow.
0: So pinking shears and pink are actually related. Interfined, yeah. Back in the depths of... Uh, word history mm. okay so then what are the are those flowers still called pinks yeah yeah yeah
1: oh. they're from the genus uh, Dianthus
0: for those gardens oh, of course they are yeah, yeah, yeah. what else I didn't know that cool thanks man
1: and I want I want another fact alright another factoid um, so a lot of research has been done um, into whether people enjoy foods more off different plates and mm-hmm. there's been tests with like eating yogurts does it taste more creamy with like a black spoon or a white spoon ah. sort of psychology of how people perceive mm-hmm. how their food tastes yeah depending on whether they're served on different kind of plates and mm-hmm. stuff like that you know it, all, it could be the same yogurt but you're mm-hmm. like, mm, no it's definitely creamier with this black spoon or right um so pink is often associated with sweet things uh sort of like pink kind of sugary icing yeah. and stuff and with that uh there's sort of consensus in people's heads the kind of psychology of the colour is that pastries and cakes taste better on pink boxes or pink plates so that's why a lot of confectionery kind of plays on that
0: idea which is quite interesting it does and the pink french fancies taste better than the other ones well there you go that's proof of proof and needed you know <laughs> well i never And now, what about the pink being a girl's colour situation?
1: Well, we touched on this a little bit when we were talking about blue and saying, oh, blue's for boys, and Mm -hmm. a little bit more research. It doesn't seem like, I mean, unfortunately, we don't have uh, the QI elves here, but I did do some kind of uh, researching into different kind of aspects, and some uh, some theories about um, pink being linked to boys originally um, was that men had red uniforms. And in the olden days, the classic days of yore is the uh, century... <laughs> Once last, upon a time. Because I'm linking this to mm-hmm. um, boys were, and boys and, you know, girls. Girls were just little women and boys were just small men. Like There wasn't really a distinction between adults and kids. You know, you dressed mm-hmm. your kids up like a mini adult. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, and because of the red uniforms that the men would go off and fight wars in. Um, boys would be dressed in pink, partly because the colour would be washed out because the kids' clothes would be more often washed Ooh. and kind of became pink. Um, there's a theory that this sort of changed around the late 19th century because sailor suits became popular for little boys so that right. it's more of a blue shade mm-hmm. and then um, in the 1940s, when colors um, started becoming manufactured and allowed to be more fixed dyes, mm-hmm. there sort of was like a change
0: in you know what color could be kind of assigned wear: Yes, because I do like to tell people that pink used to be a boy's color. Yeah, yeah, so now I can <laughs> now I can continue to do it with even more exciting information to back it up.
1: I mean, one animal that doesn't need to be stereotyped in a gender um, idea is flamingos. <laughs> well,
0: they're all pink. Yeah. Uh, they're proud. But do you know why? Um, something be- related to food. Yes. And indeed. that food relation is that they um, get their pink colour from the, ooh, here's a fun word carotenoid proteins in their plankton diet. But when they're not in their natural habitat and not eating their natural diet, of plankton that has these exciting proteins in they're not pink anymore that's really sad are are they white I suppose yeah
1: yeah they kind of go white
0: hmm can you get black flamingos like you can get black swans
1: I don't think so what would they have to eat black jacks and uh black pudding (laughs) black foods only from now on
0: (laughs) they just eat like really really dense fruit cakes and black bread yep raisins treacle treacle
1: (laughs) goth flamingos
0: yeah (laughs) don't
1: understand me (laughs) mum
0: I actually saw a black swan not long ago. Oh, yeah. It was... Natalie Portman. Yes. uh (laughs) How did you know? (laughs) Um, I went on a day trip to a funny little seaside village, um, which was near Devon, and so we had ice cream with... plotted cream right on it which was amazing but that's beside the point the just point like, is like a devon
1: ice cream would be just a scoop of plotted cream on, a on bike, it <laughs> yeah, more or less you go, and just jam on top with a
0: scone in the sun, <laughs> instead of a plague. i'd like an ice cream please it's just but this is a scone with jam and cream on it frozen but it's so in, confusing you're,
1: you're in devon now
0: <laughs> yeah anyway and at this place of wonder they had a black swan oh. and its beak was bright red oh wow like the most amazing kind of intense like almost neon Mm. bright bright red it was crazy wow yeah I tried to take a picture of it but he was like no press please yeah exactly I've had it up to here since that lady pretended to be me in a film (laughs) gotta watch with the swans they're pretty vicious as well so it's true they'll beat you up hardcore
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's not the London swans that's every swan yeah Yeah, exactly (laughs) London's wants to get the Queen after you, you're fine. Anyway, <laughs> another cool fact, uh, the Financial Times, which ah. are very distinctive in their salmon pink uh, colour, mm-hmm. actually because um, that colour of paper, the unbleached style, was uh, less expensive than the sort of pure white uh, bleached paper. Which I think is quite funny, a Financial Times magazine sort of taking the, the financial aspect to a, uh, you know, to a situa- yeah. real extreme situation. Like, when you save money on these... Articles about money. So
0: So that we can bring you more articles about money. Yeah. Um, Cool. Yeah. But I did also hear that other newspapers used to also be printed on pink paper. um, But just those ones didn't survive. So it's really only the Financial Times carrying the torch of, um, you know, looking after the the pennies. (laughs) Letting the pounds take care of themselves. But also, Pom Pom was once mentioned in the Financial Times.
1: Well, there we go. All the important things are mentioned in the Financial Times. Exactly. Black swans, knitting, everything. Um, Pink is uh, also—it's been known to be used on prison walls in order to reduce the erratic behavior of inmates because of its, uh, you know, sugary, rosy, calming quality, soothing. Yes. Well, I
0: feel sufficiently soothed um, (laughs) through hearing these facts. So, how are you a fan of pink then? I am. I am a fan of pink. Um, Me too. I really like pink, (laughs) which is amazing. I'm so glad you like
1: it. Um. So one of my favorite pinks i'd say is a great color by malabrigo i've seen it in the malabrigo worsted probably comes across their range as well They're called strawberry fields mm. mm-hmm. you know they have that influence so i think we talked a little bit about this with cerulea you have the influence of color names you're like oh yeah actually i love this one strawberry fields is a great name and a great song so so what's not, not,
0: what, not what's to not to love, love. yeah exactly. <laughs> i also have um a malabrigo pink that i'm a big fan yeah. of American Beauty. Now, I wouldn't call this was pink. What, what, what would you call it? So, I'd say
1: it's a dusty red. Oh, for God's sake. But that is nice. And I have actually knit
0: something quite substantial in that. Which is awesome. We need to put a picture of that on Alright, so yeah. It's very lovely. Um, I would say it's pink. So there. Okay. Um Tosh. We do
1: mention Madeleine Tosh a lot, but their colours are. Good colours. They have good are... colours. <laughs> we... No one can argue with that. Um, they have Coquettes, which is an intense, fuchsia like really. Deep mm. vampy pink, like really electric and kind of deep yeah. uh, colors in there, and pop rocks, which again is a great name. That's a really like electric zingy pink. It's more of a sort of like
0: neon um, sugar, sugary pink. Yeah. Yes. Uh, like sherbet. Like neon sh- sherbet yeah. pink. Neon sherbet pink. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also um, I made the lovely charm shawl by Juju Vale for Loop. Um, I made it in the Schiller Stair in the color sky gabro. Ooh. Which is also probably um, debatably pink or or dusty red, but I think it's pink. That's what I think. I think ity pinkity Um And I also really really love um, <clears throat> handmaiden Casbar in the colour berry.
1: No, again, that's verging on red for me. But I guess I like, I like quite
0: red pinks. Yeah, I think
1: I like really intense, like
0: knock your socks off pink. Mm-hmm. Punch mm-hmm. it in the face. I also really like last, last night's red dress. Which is a very purple pink, and Oops. some people would call it purple. By Old
1: Main not yes. By Old maid not I would yeah. call it pink. I call that purple again. Oh, again. I don't even bother to yeah. talk to each other ever. <laughs> we would never be friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so yeah, let us know your fave pinky projects. Mm hmm. Oh, mm-hmm. Project, projects for your tiny finger. Yes. <laughs>
0: That was a lot about pink. But now we can move on to our top three for this podcast, which doesn't really have a snappy title. Top three Christmas-related items which are acceptable this far away from Christmas. So we are currently in November. We're still a good month and a half or a good month away mm-hmm. from Christmas. Yeah. So which things are acceptable at this time of year? that are christmassy sure it's
1: too easy to be like oh look at that
0: christmas tree already up it's too early for christmas and i can't get excited yet you know you can't peek too early Mm -hmm. Um, but there are just some christmassy things that i don't feel that way about even though overall i feel like why are they already selling tinsel or why
1: are they already playing christmas songs you can't you know christmas songs they can get rinsed to death in some shops i feel sorry for people who work in maybe big supermarkets that just get it piped over the yeah all the time mm,
0: that's true but hey let's focus on the exciting stuff good stuff yeah okay alright Sophie so what's your top three acceptable items this time of year even though it's not yet Christmas <laughs> All
1: right, definitely top three. I think this is an obvious one: Christmas knitting.
0: Okay. Yeah. Oh, or okay.
1: even just for yourself, being like, oh, I'm going to make something really, really warm and lovely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, partly, I love knitting because I, I like staying warm. I like making things and staying warm. I think that's the main reasons when people ask me why do you knit, and I was like, that's why. So I end up looking at the really like chunky wool projects on uh, Ravelry, and I end up looking at stuff like, oh I'm going to make stuff in Quince and Quinson Co's Osprey and Puffin, like the you know three stitches to an inch kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think getting excited about new knits not technically Christmassy, but then you can start looking at Christmas jumpers and stuff mm. like that. Christmas jumpers. Okay, yeah. I think Christmas, that's All oh right, let's sum it up. Christmas jumpers. Good. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the second thing I'd say which is acceptable is Christmas lights, but very in a very subtle, specific way. Okay. Like, just a little, on. Like a little hint of a fairy light in a window. Mm. Um And, yeah, if people are starting to put, like, near where I work, they start putting up the Christmas lights. They're not lit yet. But uh, this is a very oddly specific uh, <laughs> category we're trying to enter into, but yeah, just the anticipation of Christmas decorations—not the actual decorations, not the appearing in the shop. But I think just the readiness of uh, preparation. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, number one pre-Christmas, Christmasness. <laughs> okay. Is uh, Christmas-themed edibles such as mince <laughs> pies and chocolate coins and
0: you know Cadbury's have discontinued their chocolate coins well uh, oh, how sad is that well, well, you can get the mouseware
1: though I get the mouseware. Um I also like really big some places do really big chocolate coins so you, yeah basically the queen's head on the coin is as big as your own head yes. so you get to eat the giant coin amazing um, yeah so those kind of things uh, mainly mince pies because I think you they are such a Uh, seasonal thing Mm -hmm. you should try and get eating them as soon as possible i've stuck to this rule. i had my first one last week so it's fine and also i like the thing that i was always told if you eat a mince pie like the first one of that season or whatever you should always make a wish as you
0: bite into it Ah, do you warm yours up oh um oh i thought you'd never ask (laughs) because i like to put mine in the microwave for like five seconds
1: yeah or something yum yeah i was once trying to describe to a an American lady who offered a mince pie to uh, in my in my day job. And she was like, what? And I was like, oh, no, it's not mince as in like mince meat. She said, it's like fruit and nuts mince. And she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. In either <laughs> sense. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. I confused <laughs> you because I think she thought I offered her a pastry pie full of mince. Um, <laughs> It'd be quite a
0: strange thing to just offer somebody kind of, why, you know, yeah, that would be weird. It's way more acceptable to offer people sweeties yeah. in in the daytime rather than... And then I did, did have a need... very
1: similar, surreal conversation with someone else in the shops where they were like, we need more mince pies, go to the shops now and get them. And I ended up buying eight packets of these uh, mince pies, sort of six to a pack. And someone behind me who was also an American lady said, oh, are these pies good? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> you would think I'm the expert, but I, I haven't been eating them. I've just been offering them to people. <laughs> hey All right, like.
0: so what are your top three? Okay, my top three... At number three, I'm not sure if this is actually Christmassy or not, but I really like Brussels (laughs) sprouts. I assume they uh, are—they do get more airtime around the uh, Christmas period. Yes, and people have strong feelings about them. But I freaking love Brussels sprouts, and I like it when they're everywhere all the time and easy to buy and eat as often as I can.
1: Little tiny cabbages—they're so cute. Brussels sprouts are just tiny fart bombs, (laughs) and I don't like them. Of deliciousness. (laughs) No, just tiny. I love them. I don't care what you think. My dear grandma would be like, just eat one for me every Christmas. I'd be like, alright, that's my quota for the year. One. And I would eat it. (laughs) (laughs) I hate these. I
0: love them. So that's my number three. Alright. At number two, I also have lights, but more specifically fairy lights. Okay, yeah. Because I like it when there's fairy lights, like around windows or in trees. In fact, I like fairy lights in trees as much as possible. So I really like it. Yeah, definitely they're like they could be turned on mm. those ones yeah turn them on now <laughs> love it actually yeah. i want to change
1: my vague light rambling to that <laughs> it's pretty heavy rambling it got too dark too,
0: too intense yes fairy lights and trees boom
1: Pre christmas christmas yes Woo!
0: and um more generally like sparkly stuff mm-hmm. lights come under this category mm-hmm. uh anything glittery is good yeah. so glittery shoes because lots of people wear glittery shoes yes. and sort of hair things at christmas mm-hmm. uh, glitter spray bring that back yeah, yeah that's good but once you spray it everything in your life is now covered in glitter yeah, forever and ever, and ever. <laughs> glittery nail varnish oh yeah yeah so basically number two for lydia is glittery things and this encompasses all glittering um both the sort of foil kind mm-hmm. and the light kind very good yes and at number one is my favorite christmas song which is the fairy tale of New York oh, by the Pogues and Kirsty MacColl, and quite honestly, I could listen to that song a hundred million times, <laughs> even though it's pretty depressing actually as yeah. a song. Um, but it's just a brilliant
1: song. I love it. I must admit, not not this year, a year or two ago, around the Christmas festive period, there was a shop that started playing it, and I just thought, no, no, too early, and I left
0: the shop without purchasing anything. Really, such was my. Wow. Uh, strength. See, because most other Christmas songs, maybe. I think, I would be, I would feel similarly about. Mm. But I've, I really love that song. I to it all the time. And in karaoke, I always want to do it, but there's not that many months of the year that you're allowed to do it acceptably. I thought you meant you haven't got a Shane McGowan to accompany you. And I like, oh Just no, do <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just do both the parts, remember. Right, right, right,
0: right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> so that's our top three Christmassy items which are acceptable at this not yet Christmassy time of year. I'm feeling really excited about Christmas now. (laughs) (laughs) Should we go eat some mixed pies? (laughs) (laughs) So that is all from us today on POMCAST. We hope you've enjoyed listening to us. Mm -hmm. Well, we always address it within a Western hemisphere. It's going to be chilly, but many of you
1: might be basking in a warm, sunny glow. But those of you not, stay warm. Yes. Those you who
0: are Sun Cream.
1: Stay yeah.
0: Stay temperate. <laughs> stay classy. And enjoy your warm weather places. I once did swing in a hammock on Christmas Day in Mexico. And I felt good about it, I'll yeah. be honest. <laughs> I thought it was gonna feel really weird, but it just felt really good. Excellent. Alright, well Well to all of you, no matter where you are, um, it's not Christmas yet, so I'm not gonna say that. Alright, yeah But no, we'll, we'll we'll be go. back next month with more knit chat. Yeah. Alright, take care. Love you, bye!
1: Bye! <laughs> Palmcast is produced by Lydia Gluck and Sophie Scott, lots of help from Eli Block, who also wrote the original music for the Palmcast. You can check out more of his work at www.goodgirlandthebadtimes.com. Thanks also to Megan Fernandez, the co-creator of Pom Pom Magazine, our lovely sponsor, Blacker Yarns, and our interviewee, Cyrillia Rose. Lots of thank you and love to all you Pom Pom readers, subscribers, and now listeners. You can keep in touch and up to date with Pom Pom on Ravelry, and also email us at podcast at